Welcome to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. We feature exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. I'm Becky Robinson, your host for the podcast, the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, and the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. I also created the Reach More Readers Workshops. Thank you for choosing to learn with me, and I hope you'll take action today as a result of listening to this show. If you benefit from the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us to help us reach more listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I'm Becky Robinson, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by special guest Stephen James. And our topic today is the power of storytelling for marketing your books. But I'll just give you a little spoiler. I first met Stephen James at an author event in Northern Colorado, the Northern Colorado Writers Conference. And his response when I told him I was a marketer was a little bit iffy. So uh, Stephen James may be a self-proclaimed uh, reluctant marketer, but he is also an award-winning author of more than 50 books. He's taught writing and storytelling around the world, appearing over 2,000 times in various countries to teach writing and storytelling over the last 25 years. And he is joining our conversation today from his home in Eastern Tennessee. So Stephen is a husband, a dad, a granddad. He has three daughters and two granddaughters. And his latest book has just recently been released last week, co-authored with Tom Morrissey, who's a communication expert from the Walt Disney Company. The new book is called The Art of the Tale. And Stephen is also the host of the Story Blender podcast. So after you listen to today's episode, you can go out and discover more magic from Stephen. Hey, Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Reluctant marketer as I may be, but um, thanks for having me on today. Well, for sure. Um, and, you know, I'm in awe because I've written one book and you've written 50. and um, that's just an amazing feat. Really curious, how many do you write a year or, you know, how much space is between your titles? Well, you know, when I started writing uh, books, I was doing a lot of like nonfiction books for um, educators and, and some in inspirational books and so on. And so those didn't take as long. But the novels that I write, I've done 18 novels. They take me about a year to write. So... um. I sometimes will get a novel done in maybe six to nine months, but um, I usually I have several projects on the burner and I'm sort of moving them around <laughs> the top of the stovetop and something will percolate. I'll bring it forward. That and is pretty cool. <laughs> so the art of the tale was just released. Um, what's the next title coming from you before we dive in too far on storytelling? Oh, sure. No, I have a new um, a novel coming out that's uh, available for pre-order now. It's called Broker of Lies. And uh, so that will come out after the first of the year. But I'm working on the next one in that series right now. And, and a couple of other couple of other things on the burner as well. <laughs> that is so exciting. Well, so this new book, uh, The Art of the Tale, talks about the power of storytelling. And that's something you've been teaching for decades. So tell me what's so powerful about telling stories. Well, stories don't just inform people. They actually build bridges between people as far as understanding. And research even shows that um, 
that there are different um, responses, uh, subconscious responses within within us that have to do with connections and trust and trust building. And all of these occur and happen when we hear a powerful story. And so it ends up that we don't just understand more, uh, we actually feel more. And we feel more toward the story and often for the storyteller um, himself or herself. Um, so stories are powerful in ways that brain researchers and neuroscientists are only now beginning to really understand. It's almost like great teachers have always known about the power of storytelling. And now over the last couple of decades, researchers are saying, you know what? They are even more powerful than we had ever imagined. Um, and so I've found personally that stories can help uh, bridge people that are maybe have different cultures, different backgrounds, different demographics. And I've used stories in that way. Um, cultures around the world all love to hear stories. When I was in India teaching uh, a couple of years ago, teaching writing, I found that um, people really connected the most with my family stories, stories about my kids um, and family's really important. The family unit's really important in India. And, and when I told other stories, they were like, okay, but then all of a sudden I could just see their eyes light up because we had that in common and uh, that allowed a connection to be, to be made. So, what do you think it takes to have a good story? You know, you're mentioning in India, you noticed that um, they resonated most with your family stories. But for someone who's communicating or speaking or even writing, how do we know which stories are going to be most powerful for us? Or how do we craft a great story? Well, I feel that there are six elements to every great story. So there's four elements to every story. And if you understand those, you can actually to tell a more well-rounded story. But if you understand there's two additional elements to all great stories, you can actually elevate your stories really well. So uh, I'll just whip through them really quickly. But uh, the first is your character. Obviously you need a character to uh, have a story. That's not that surprising. Stories need a setting in time and place for us to picture what's going on. Uh, they also, some people might say that a story needs a plot, but I actually don't really agree with that. I feel like the next thing a story needs is a struggle, that something goes wrong and your character is trying to solve it, resolve it in some way. And uh, then the fourth is a pursuit. They make decisions in pursuit of a goal, whatever that goal might be. And so your story has a character in a setting who is struggling with something and pursuing, uh, making choices in pursuit of something else. And so that's really what a story is. Now, stories have, you know, believability and they have emotion. They have all these other, you know, factors to them. But if you look at um, a story that you might be writing or telling or, or shaping and forming, and um, if it has those four elements, at least it's a story. But stories need um, two, additional, two additional factors to really be impactful. One is what I call the pivot. And a, a pivot is really where... Um, the story begins in one direction and then in a way that's unexpected, but believable and logical, it, it shifts, and goes into another direction. And then payoff. Payoff is where the meaning of the story is deep. And, and all of this kind of explains why case studies, especially for those people who might be marketing and say, well, I want to use a case study. 
case studies don't usually make great stories because they might be like, okay, well, there was this person who had a problem. They were looking for a solution, finally found our company, and now they're living happily ever after. So you have your character in the setting, you have their struggle and their pursuit, but it's so it's so predictable. We're like, okay, I, I know what's going to happen as soon as they find this company, right? They're going to be fulfilled and happy and everything. So it needs that pivot. It needs that moment where listeners or constituents, clients, and so on be like, I don't know where this is going. And all of a sudden, a pivot comes out like, wow, that is impactful. That's powerful. I'm going to remember that. So I always encourage business leaders and people who might be marketing or sharing an idea to think about things that don't seem to fit, things that took them by surprise, things that um, looked like they were going to end one way and end another, because a lot of times that's where your pivot lies. So what's that last one? Because I want to make sure I'm remembering them all. So let me try and say them back to you and we can fill in the blanks for our listeners. So we've got a character in a setting with a struggle and a pursuit and we need a pivot, which is something that's unexpected. And then you had one more. Yeah, the payoff is really where uh, it can be very, very for different types of stories. So if you're telling a humorous story, maybe we laugh, we think it's hilarious. If it's a poignant story, maybe we cry or a romance, we feel warm hearted at the end, a horror story where there's a plummet into despair. And so um, stories can carry deep meaning. um, And uh, sometimes the pivot and payoff actually happen at the same moment uh, within a story and it can be ver- the very last moment. So I'll give you a quick example. Let me tell you like a very, very short story. Uh, so this is an old story from uh, the Middle East. It's a teaching story. So it's about this guy who um, really felt like people should pay him more attention, like bring him some food. And and he went out to the jungle one day and he saw this fox with no legs. He thought, that's really strange. Why would there be a fox with no legs? And he watched and pretty soon this tiger that had been eating some food, dragged some meat over and left it for the fox. He thought, that's interesting. I wonder if that would happen again. So the next day he goes out to the jungle and there's the fox with no legs. He waits and sure enough, pretty soon this tiger comes along bringing him some meat. The guy says, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. So he goes home and he waits for someone to bring him some food. He waits and no one shows up. No one gives him any attention. And So finally, he's starving. He's on death's door. And he hears the voice, the voice of God. And the voice says, didn't you even understand? You were supposed to be the tiger. And so you have a character in a setting. And he struggles. He pursues something. The pivot comes. And then the payoff is, you know, a lot of times we think about ourselves so much. And we forget that serving others is actually a deeper route to fulfillment. So when you tell a story like that, it doesn't need a super long explanation. Usually people are like, oh, wow, no, that makes sense. And so that is a quick example of sort of the six elements of a story that, um, that you can use to convey a message to, your, to the people that you're communicating with. Thank you so much. I had been thinking I was going to ask you to tell us a story. So I'm really glad that we um, had that experience. I might ask you to tell another before we're through. Um, I want for a moment, uh, Stephen, to 
just run something past you. So I've been talking with clients lately about the idea of a signature story. And so for those of us who are marketing our books, chances are there's a story in the books that we've written that that we've shaped our nonfiction narrative around. Now, this might be different for a fiction author. The whole thing is a story. Um, but for nonfiction authors, quite often, there are one or more stories within the book that if we share them with an audience, maybe we're speaking about our book, it will be memorable. It will make an emotional connection. So I'm thinking of these authors that I work with. They recently launched their book, I Wish I'd Known This. And they have a signature story that they tell about a woman who set a broom on fire to get the attention of a train that's about to go off the tracks. And they relate that to the topic of their book. In my book, I have a signature story. You know, anytime I'm asked to speak about my book, I tell a story about 500 trees. So when I was listening to you, I was thinking about the 500 trees stories and I was ticking off, you know, it has characters, it has a setting, it has a struggle, it has a pursuit. Uh, I'm not sure about the pivot, so I have to think about yeah. that. It definitely has a payoff. Um, so I'm curious, have you ever thought about this idea of a signature story? And if you have, you know, tell me about how you describe what a signature story is. And if there's one for this new book, The Art of the Tale, I'd love for you to share it with us. That is a great uh, question. I'm trying to think of, I've done some nonfiction books and uh, very often I start with a controlling metaphor. So like in one of my books, it was called Becoming Real. And it was kind of this metaphor of taking off a mask. Um, and I was just thinking through if there was one particular story that had to do with that. I can't think of one immediately, but I love the idea that you're presenting, that nonfiction books very often will have that. If I were writing a nonfiction book and I were look, if I was looking for a signature story for that, I would really think in terms of struggle. What was the struggle that you had and how did it resolve in an unexpected way? So a lot of times stories, when people tell stories, they just list events. One thing happened, then another, then another, then another. And, uh, but I don't really feel like those are, are powerful stories. I don't even know if they're stories at all, but reports. And so really thinking through what was it that I wanted, I couldn't get, what steps did I take to try to get it, what got in the way, and how did it resolve in a way that I didn't anticipate? If you can find that, you'll find a powerful story, especially if it has to do with a universal human desire, like wanting to find freedom or belonging, acceptance, love, uh, adventure, security, or, or anything like that. Very often we identify with the character in a story who has the struggle. This is actually an interesting point. We don't identify with characters in stories that have the answers. We identify with characters in the stories who have the struggles. So if you're telling a story uh, about your life, maybe it's your signature story uh, and it's a nonfiction book and you tell about how you picked yourself up by the bootstraps and made, you know, um, made something of your life, even though you were struggling with difficult times, it's not gonna resonate with people because you're actually patting yourself on the back and you're the one with the answers, you're not the one we'll identify with. So instead, look for a story about a mentor, someone who actually taught and inspired you when you didn't have all the answers. Um, or look for a way that you found an answer in a place you never would have anticipated. Those are the stories people will connect better with than the ones where you come across as either the hero or the victim. 
Interesting. So um, when I think about this signature story in my book, I'm not the hero at all. It's not even a story about me. So I wonder sometimes if we're telling someone else's story and it's a story of struggle, that can more powerfully illustrate the concepts that we're trying to present. Yeah, I don't think you're... I mean, if there's a, a signature story about someone else or or whatever, that's that should be fine as long as you have permission from them to maybe tell it or that it's in the public domain, something you don't want to tell someone's personal story without you know running it by them to make sure they're not embarrassed or whatever. But but um, but very often, you know, with the art of the tale, this is the story that comes to my mind when I think about it. Um, pivot wise is I worked at camp after high school. I worked at summer camp as a counselor. And so one week we had a, a program for children who had special needs. So there were two counselors plus a full-time therapist in each cabin with five children. So it kind of gives you an idea of the individualized attention that they needed. And so the first day of camp, this lady dropped her son off, Philip. And she said, now Philip will be a good listener so pay attention, but he won't talk. He stopped talking six months ago. And so I was like, okay. And in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, I want to be the guy to get him to talk. Like, I'm going to be like the one that inspires him or whatever. So we started camp and the first day, sure enough, we were singing camp songs and he listened, but he didn't participate. Next day we did craft projects and he was a good listener, but didn't say anything. A couple of days went past and I thought, finally, I said, I'm not going to be able to get this kid to talk. And so it was the fourth day of camp and it had been raining all morning. So we couldn't, thunderstorm, so we couldn't go swimming. We couldn't get across camp. It was raining too hard to go to the craft projects and so on. And so we were cooped up in the cabin all morning. Everyone's kind of getting a little stir crazy. And I went under the porch to try to brainstorm some ideas of activities and games we could do later in the day and as i was doing that i glanced up and i saw a couple rainbows across the cornfield in the distance and just went back to my work and pretty soon philip wanders out of the cabin and he stands next to me all of a sudden he looks up in the sky and he sees those two rainbows and then philip spoke he said the first words i ever heard him say first words anyone had heard him say in six months he like lifted his arms up as if he were trying to embrace the day. And he said, wow, look at the world. And then he disappeared again into whatever place he'd gone into. But I did look at the world. I looked up at Philip and beyond him, and I saw those two rainbows in the sky. And uh, I realized that he needed something bigger than me to actually make him come out of his shell and when i when his mom come to came to pick him up a couple of days later i told her what had happened she started crying and he looked over at the sky and he pointed up to where the rainbows had been he didn't say anything again but but i think that that message for me was super powerful getting people to open their eyes i remember writing down in my journal open your eyes marvel and so through stories, I think we can help people do that, see the world in a new way, hopefully open their eyes, marvel at things and build connections. And all this is uh, possible through stories. And so that story, when I think of the art of the tale, 
don't know if it's a signature story, but it certainly is a story that really inspired me to become a storyteller. And if I could reach out to Philip somewhere, I would tell him, yes, I did look at the world and I still am. Wow. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Steve, and I think that's a signature story from the art of the tale. I think if you have any keynotes in upcoming weeks, if you have any other podcast um, opportunities on other people's shows over the next few weeks, I think that's a story you should pull out every time. So I would define a signature story as the story that you always share when you're wanting to draw an audience because it's going to compel them with interest to get the book. And, you know, I certainly want to read the art of the tale now, having heard that story. Um, if there are more like it. Well, let's pivot for a minute, uh, if you don't mind, Stephen, and talk a little bit about marketing. This is a show about marketing. Um, and I'm I'm wondering about what your journey with marketing has been like over the years. That's a great question. You know, um, uh, I started writing books in 2005, I guess. Well, fiction books. Before that, I'd done some nonfiction. And, and it seems like all of the... Um, um, marketing people that I worked with at different companies and different publishers over the years kind of always asked the same questions. Uh, and they would basically say, um, okay, what is your brand? That was one that they would always ask, like, what is your brand? And I'm like, well, I've written stories on, I've written books on how to tell Bible stories to preschool children. And I write serial killer novels. It's kind of like my wife says, it's kind of like inviting Stephen King over to do a puppet show for your kindergarten class, you know? So I was like, you tell me what my brand is like. They're like, oh, that, that's hard. That's tough. And, and so my experience has been that sometimes the marketers I've worked with, or the firms, try to put me into a box that's easy to package and sell. But my stories don't always fit that way. So like the art of the tale is quite a bit different from the, the thrillers that I write, obviously. And it taps into a different part of who I am. Um, but the thrillers are still a very important part of, you know, my, my story and, and the types of writing that I do. And so, so rather than actually finding a way to um, expand um, the, the readership and, and so on to find people that can connect with me on lots of different levels, I felt like sometimes they were trying to almost shrink me down into a box that would be easy for them to pack. Oh, he writes intelligent thrillers. I'm like, yeah, but I also write you know, inspirational. I also write books on storytelling and writing. And, and so then they'd be like, all right, well, we'll package you as the guy who teaches writing. I'm like, okay, that's great. But I, <laughs> but I also do this other stuff. And so, so that became frustrating to be honest, you know, over the years and, and, um, and so uh, I feel like there have to be other approaches, you know, to uh, to strong marketing and, and things like that. But my skill isn't marketing. My skill is telling stories. So whenever people ask me about marketing, I feel like I'm out of my depth because it's certainly not my specialty. But I have nothing against it. Obviously, I want people to certainly, you know, hear about my stories, my books and, and connect with them. And so I'm always intrigued by people who have this as their specialty um my i have a good friend who is a kind of a marketing guru she's like you need to post this on instagram and and and, and or i'll be with her and something will happen she's like you gotta get a picture of that i'm like why would i want a picture of that she's like well for instagram or you know for facebook or twitter or whatever i'm like 
it doesn't even enter my mind to take a photo. Um, just the other day, it was my wife, oh, my, my 30th uh, anniversary with my wife, right? So we went out and played mini golf with our little grand girls. I mean, they're only one and three, so it wasn't really a lot of mini golf with them. But anyway, we went and played mini golf with my daughters and so on. And so we were all hanging out. And my daughter, who has started doing some of the marketing for me, she's like, you got to get a picture. I'm like, why would I want a picture? She's like, Steve or, or dad, you know, just like, Eek. so finally got a photograph of my wife and my daughters, their granddaughters and myself. And, you know, like hundreds of people have liked it on whatever different, you know, places we post it and sell like hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, so she's like, see, you know, like, see, I never would have even thought uh, of doing that. It doesn't even enter my mind. I'm just like, okay, I'm playing, you know, mini golf or whatever. So yeah, it's definitely not my wheelhouse, but I'm glad to work with people as long as they can kind of come up with fresh ways of, you know, sharing the message. I wonder if there's a way, Stephen, for you to reframe marketing to storytelling and just think about the way you can tell stories in different places in ways that draw interest in your work. Yeah. There's something to try on. So, yeah, you know, it's like, it's so interesting. I sometimes wonder if I should have written some things under a, uh, like a pen name, like done one type of book but I never did that. So here I am, you know, and it's, so I've written, you know, just a wide variety of books from prayer books to fantasy, science fiction, thrillers, suspense, inspirational and, and instructional books and storytelling and writing. And it's just like books of scripts and short stories and this whole spectrum. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting to try and figure out how to let people know the people who would be the most likely to connect with a different part of me, like thriller readers or storytellers or whatever. How do you help them connect with that book and, and at the right time? That's the challenge. Well said. Well, so I'm curious, you're talking ab about this marketing journey that you've been on. Is there something that you think that you've done that's worked really well for you or something that you think you've tried that just didn't work at all? Oh my. Most of the things that I try, I don't feel like are all that amazing. But um, I think you mentioned earlier that I do uh, this podcast, The Story Blender, which uh, I'm pretty excited about. I've interviewed, you know, over 100 of the best writers and storytellers in the world over the last couple of years. And so so we have that podcast. And then I do try to, you know, send people, you know, information whenever I, I have a new book. So we do a newsletter. I kind of try to Anytime that I'm working with a publisher and they have ideas, I'm like, I'm glad to try it. You know what? We'll shoot it out there, whether it's an email or Facebook or I don't know, whatever it is. But uh, I have I have your book, by the way, on my shelf. And so I am working my, I haven't worked my way all the way through it, to be honest, but I'm like, this one looks so helpful, literally. And so I gave it to my daughter who's trying to help me with my marketing, so. Awesome. You'll have to tell uh, her to flag the signature story when she gets there so she can read it to you. That is interesting. Yeah, I like that. So I have just a couple of questions as we wrap up our time together. One is just a curiosity, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will want to know this too. You mentioned publishers, and so you've written 50 books. Of the 50 books, how many of them are published by traditional publishers versus self-published? And what's your opinion on uh, how that goes for you? 
Oh, they're all traditionally published. So every I'm single no, one. Yeah. So I'm no expert, you know, on self-publishing. I can't really say that that's my forte. Um, that hasn't been my experience to really work in that realm. So, so uh, there would be other people much more qualified as far as like giving direction to folks in that, in that field. But, um, I feel like one of the things that's when I first started writing, I wrote four magazines. And uh, so at the time, I know I'm dating myself. This is back in the 90s. Okay. So you would actually send out a self addressed stamped envelope to people that you were, you know, people are like, what is that? What is that even thing? But, and so you would get rejected sometimes. People would write back and say, no, we're not interested in, you know, your story or whatever. And, and, or your book. And so it can get frustrating. And, and I understand that I've been there. I have hundreds of, you know, rejection letters from over the years and um, just got an, another one uh, last week from another publisher. But what I've found over the last maybe five or 10 years is that people don't want to go through that. And I understand they don't want to get rejected. They don't want to hear from a publisher or an editor or an agent that they're not interested and so I find more and more people are saying, well, I'll just publish it. I'll self-publish it. I'll just self-publish it. Usually I say just and see how it does. And I'm like, well, I can tell you how it's going to be uh, because of that approach. Like you can't just say, I'm just going to throw it out there and uh, whatever platform you might use and, and expect. I mean, there are like, I think the last I heard 3000 books come out per day. So if that's the case, how are people going to find your books? So I get it that marketing, you know, is important. You got to find a way to help people find your book or it's just going to sit there on whatever platform you've done. And so I feel like the best time to self-publish is when you have a contract offer from a publisher. In other words, they would give you an offer and you look at it and you're like, oh, this is obviously the book is good because, you know, someone's interested in it. But I can make more money and maybe or have a bigger platform or whatever it is, reach more readers if I self-publish it. Well, that's great. So it isn't for me where you publish, whether it's traditionally or, or independently or whatever. It's when you publish. Like, I really feel like books need to be published. They need, need to strive for excellence. So, so sometimes I think people maybe don't edit as much when they're just the ones responsible for it maybe not proofread as much. Um, and so that's one of the advantages I think with traditional publishing is that they have, you know, gatekeepers, editors and agents, proofreaders and all of this to really help, help you with that process. So I would say really to anyone who's, who has a book to sell, you know, make sure that it's the really the best that you have wherever you go with it. And don't just decide that you're going to press a button and self-publish it just because you've maybe gotten a rejection letter or two, they've probably rejected it because it's not ready to be published. So it doesn't matter if you publish it yourself or if someone else does, if it's not ready, it's not ready. And um, one of the things I remember is when I first got started writing, I was taking a class with um, an author named Davis Bond, who's a successful um, novelist. And, and so uh, anyway, he said that when his first book came out, he went to a book signing. And there was this famous author next to him, and there he was, his first book. So there was a long line of people getting their book signed by this other author, and nobody was in his line. So he's kind of like, I've got a book too. Here I am, you know, like, 
But finally, this lady walks up, carrying this book very reverently um, in two hands. And she walks up and said to him, sir, is this a worthy book? And he said, yeah, it's a worthy book. And she said, would you kindly sign it for me? So he signed the book and he gave it to her. And I remember when he told me that story, I said, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to look someone in the eye. If I ever write a book, if a novel, because I hadn't, I said, I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, yes, that book is worth your time. It's a worthy book. It might not be your cup of tea. Maybe you like romantic comedy and this is a thriller. That's all, you know, that's up to you, but it's a worthy book. So I would tell people wherever you publish, whatever it is that you have, be able to do that. Be able to look someone in the eye if they ask, is this a worthy book and say, Yes. And that may, may may take more time to get to that spot than you anticipate. It might take a few more months or a year, whatever it is. But in my perspective, that's really what our goal should be. Well, I'm so thrilled that you uh, kind of finished us up with a powerful story because I was going to ask you for one and you told one before I even asked. I, I love that story. At the end of every episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, we do two things. We let folks know how they can stay in touch with you and learn more about you and your work. And we also give them action steps that they can immediately implement. So let's start with some action steps. And uh, thinking over our conversation, we've been uh, through a lot of you know topics today. Um, the first action step I want to recommend for those who are listening are to think about a story that you regularly tell in your writing or your speaking. And think through the six criteria that Stephen shared. You know, do you have a character in a setting with a struggle and a pivot and a payoff and a pursuit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so check for those six and think about if there's a way that you can adapt your story to be more powerful for your listeners. So there's one action step for you today to take. Uh, as a second action step, what's, what's showing up for you, Stephen? What should folks do as a result of listening to this podcast? I didn't really talk about this, but really there are four factors that affect the delivery of a story. So when you have a message to get across, think about you as the communicator, your audience, the context that it that you're in, and the, the story or the message itself. And so you actually have those four things, this storyteller, the story, the listeners, and the context. And so, you know, think through how can I adapt this story to this audience? And so it isn't like you package one story and use it for, well, you can use the same story over and over, but it isn't necessarily going to be told exactly the same way because you have different audiences, right? You might have a women's group one week and then the next week it's uh, you know marriage conference, whatever it is for your book. And so you're going to have different audiences. So uh, feel free to adapt your story and I sometimes tell people never tell the same story twice. And they say, what? I can never tell it again. Well, you can tell it again, but not maybe exactly the same way so that it always fits with that audience that day. That's an awesome action step. I hope that you all will try one or both of those action steps. If you do, you can always email me, Becky at weavinginfluence.com. I want to hear that you are taking action as a result of listening to this show. Okay. So as we wrap up, Stephen, tell uh, our listeners the best places they can learn more from you, get your books, join your mailing list, all those things. Uh, the best place would be stephenjames.net, sort of the core of all of uh, my 
writing in my books and so on. So you can find out the different books there. The Art of the Tale is available, you know, wherever books are sold. And then, uh, you know, tune into this story blender. If you're looking for uh, ways to tell stories better um, and you can listen to that wherever, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Fantastic. Stephen, thank you so much for investing this time. I feel like I learned a ton and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. If you haven't already, I hope you'll buy a copy of my new book, Reach. Create the biggest possible audience for your message, book, or cause. When you buy the book, you'll unlock a free course of REACH resources with more than 50 additional learning resources available exclusively for those who buy the book. Find out more and find links to buy the book at beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. If you've already read the book, I'd appreciate an Amazon review. Thanks. 